1: Hi, welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, back with another post-race edition of the podcast. This one a special one, a very unique cup race at Bristol Motor Speedway, the first dirt race in NASCAR's premier series in over a half century. And who better to discuss it than making his first appearance on the NASCAR NBC podcast this season Kyle Petty. KP, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, man. I I wore this brown shirt in honor of the dirt. (laughs) That was it. That's what it's all about, man. Totally appropriate. Totally appropriate. (laughs) So obviously we're going to talk about the race, but before we talk about the race, I want to give you an opportunity because I think it's been well-documented. There are some veterans of NASCAR, uh, some legends, some hall of famers, namely your dad, who had some misgivings, I think it's fair to say, about NASCAR going back to dirt racing. So before we talk about what transpired at Bristol on Monday, I just want to give you a chance to sort of explain, you know, your perspective why there might be some resistance. Because as I understand, Kyle, yeah. it seems like it's sort of rooted in, hey, dirt racing is where NASCAR was 50 years ago. We've moved yeah. past that, and this is like a regression. Yeah, and,
2: and 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 understand, you have to under to to understand that you had to almost have lived that. Okay, right. And 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 I go back. You know, my dad won 30 or 40 races on dirt. My grandfather won. He won 50 races and 42 of his races that he won were on dirt. So they spent their entire careers trying to get off of a dirt and and they built Atlanta, they built Charlotte, they built Daytona, man. They got off the beach. They were at Daytona. They were at the speedway. So Indianapolis wasn't dirt. Indianapolis was, was the bricks and then it was paid. So ultimately to get to the pinnacle and get to the top of, of motorsports. You had to have paved racetracks. That's what NASCAR believed, obviously, because that's what we have in Talladega and and, and Chicago and Kansas and, and California, all the places we have. So to go back and to step back to dirt, those guys see that, obviously, as a step backwards, as a step. not. They don't see it as a nod to your past. They don't. Believe me. They're, they're not looking to the past, dude. Uh, they, they don't see it that way. They just look at it and say, why would we go back to dirt? when we spent the first 15 years of the sport trying to get away from dirt, trying to get away from that, that moonshine, trying to get away from that stereotypical short track driver from the South uh, with a pack of cigarettes rolled up in her sleeve, uh, that type of thing. So I, I think that's it more than anything else. Not that I think he understands the entertainment value. He understands what NASCAR was trying to do to help promote the sport. But, man, it's a tough, pillow or a tough pill for those guys to swallow to think, okay, we're going back to dirt after 50 years uh, when we tried so hard to get off of it.
1: And completely understandable. I'm, I'm glad you brought that perspective because that, that even sort of illuminates it even more for me where I wouldn't say I'm ex- I was excited about yeah. trying dirt, but I, I certainly was encouraging of NASCAR wanting to try it because you look at what NASCAR has been doing the last year or two, and it's all about what can we do to broaden our appeal and try to move in different directions and you know keep rolling here. And you know whether this was gonna work or not, I was willing to give it the benefit of the doubt and see how it unfolded. So let, let's talk a little bit about what we saw Monday. I've never seen a NASCAR dirt race prior to this one. Like you said, Kyle, you, you've seen it. You saw probably maybe those last races in the 70s, the last yeah. race in 71 that your dad won. What were those races like? And were they comparable to what we saw
2: Monday at Bristol Motor Speedway? No, 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 they, they're, they're not comparable. You know, pit stops mattered when they ran those races in the past. Um, and, and yeah, they were dusty, dirty old racetracks. Uh, but tires were different, things were different, cars were different. Um, we didn't have these cars that are right on the ground. And even though they took the splitters off and stuff, these cars are still pretty dang low when you watch them on dirt. We had at the time, at the time, if I go back and, and and I take a lot of this just talking to my dad, they had the best technology that they had in 1968, 69, and 70 to run dirt, and, and that's what they did. You know, they could take that car and run it on a dirt track. They could run it on a short track. But they used every tool in their toolbox to be able to do it. These guys, they didn't have that opportunity. Uh, NASCAR gave them a few things that they could change and offered to change, take the splitters off and do things. But basically, they were taking an asphalt car and running it on dirt. And and I heard uh, during the broadcast yesterday, you know, Mike Mike Joy said, and not to call Mike Joy out, please, but the but Mike Joy said, you know, well, the reason they're running windshields is because that's what they did in 1970. Well, you know what? They only run a four point harness in 1972, but now they've got these carbon fiber seats. Technology moves. And I think that was one of the issues with what we saw yesterday is NASCAR really, really, really tried to do a throwback race uh, and do a dirt race the way they used to, not taking into account how dirt cars have changed, not taking into account how dirt racing has changed, not taking into account how technology has changed in what the stock car is that we run today uh, compared to what that was. So I think it was a good try. Um, I think it can work. It could work. Um, I think that's a, they, they, they put a a decent foot forward under trying circumstances yesterday um, with everything that happened all week. But I think it could be fine tuned. It could be honed. It could be, be changed to where it could be something. It could be something. Now, then the question really does become, do we need a dirt race in cup racing? Do we need a dirt race to prove that our drivers are the most well-rounded group of drivers in the world? I don't know. Maybe they need an oval in Formula One to prove that their drivers are the, the, you know I mean? I mean, we can add and we can tweak every form of racing if you want to say that. But why does NASCAR keep getting the finger pointed at it To say, well, you got to do this. So you're the most well rounded group. You don't have to. You you don't have, listen, they have dirt champ cars. I don't see Dixon and and those guys blasting it off, uh, you know, at the Springfield Mile on dirt either. They're not doing that. So why are we? And I think we are because of the fans. And there's the ultimate answer it's all about the fans right now. You know, I, I threw a Twitter tweet up yesterday. What do you guys think about this so far? Uh, got four or five hundred tweets back. And, and I'm telling you, 75 or 80 percent were it's entertaining, entertaining. I'm enjoying it. It's a different perspective. And that, in the end, is all that matters. No matter what I think about it, no matter what my dad thinks about it. OK, no matter what my dad, if the fans enjoyed it and the fans are willing to tune in, then that's something that that you've got to look at.
1: And that governs a lot of NASCAR's decisions these days, as it should. Uh, yes. you, know, you know, look at what the France family has done over almost 75 years they have made a huge point of saying it's about the show. Uh, Yes, we're a racing series and there's a purity of racing, but it's, mainly about entertainment. So entertainment is about keeping fans happy. And you know, to your point, KP, I, I looked this morning, I don't know if this grew in number, but I think I saw 1500 replies or close to it, to that tweet you put up. And my mentions, I, I felt like it ran uh, maybe 60, 40 in favor. It felt a little bit generational. It felt a little bit mm-hmm. like those who were new fans loved it. And of course, like you said, like you expect the, the old timers, maybe didn't quite think it was as great. Let's talk briefly though. You know, you mentioned improvements. Certainly they're going to look at visibility, the windshields. Uh, Scott Miller, NASCAR VP of competition said today that they're going to have a different tire anyway, because it's a different car. But in terms of construction, I think they'll look at a tire that maybe doesn't wear the same way. Uh, and of course, um, switching to single file restarts with 80 laps to go or whatever Probably not ideal. So what would be on the Kyle Petty list of things that NASCAR should take a look at, knowing this is going to be a a dirt race again in 2022?
2: Yeah. You know, I I will say, I don't know about the dust. I was not there. All I I know is what I saw on TV. And I will, but I will say this is you've been there. I've been there. There's been a million fans that have been at that racetrack in their lifetime. When you get down in that hole in the summertime, there's no breeze blowing. That (laughs) dust is not going to go anywhere. You know what I mean? Because you're inside that Coliseum, you're inside that stadium. If yep. they had run this at, 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 a Martinsville, if they had run this at a Wilkesboro at a Richmond where it's not completely surrounded, at least you would get a breeze that would blow some of the dust away. You know, they're going to have to have a God awful exhaust fan, a big, huge exhaust fan on the top of that thing to pull that plume of dust out to eliminate that. Totally, totally. Uh, and I'm not sure they ever will. I, I, you know, I look at it, and, and I, I honestly, I was a fan of the tire wear. I'm, I applaud Goodyear for what they did because if you could manage your tires, you could win the race. And what's wrong with that? What's wrong with a driver having to manage a tire? Why should I count on Goodyear to save my butt every week by making a tire? I should have to manage it at some point in time. It's called racing. It's been a part of racing from the very, very beginning. So, you know, the tires off of Joey Logano's car on that one pit stop that they showed on TV, they looked half worn where tires off other guys' cars were already blistered and in the, in, into the cord almost. So is that Joey's fault that he saves his tires and he's better tire manager? Now you penalize him by dumbing it down and making the guy that can't save his tires, you're bringing him back into the game. That's not the way it's supposed to be, man. Listen, I'm gonna tangent here one minute. I hate the lucky dog, hate the lucky dog, okay? And here's why, why should you get something why should you get your lap back when I lap you? What do I get? What do I get? I did the best I could. I drove my car. I led the race. I drove around the racetrack. I lapped you. I get nothing and you get something. The loser gets an award, but the winner gets nothing. Okay. Off that tangent. Now I'm back to, the, to this. It's okay. Think- just briefly,
1: I just want to throw in our friend, Monty Dutton, used to refer to that as socialized racing. And a that sport is- built on capitalism, that's your socialism you <laughs> in the middle.
2: That is the best way. Thank you, Monty Dutton. That is the best way to put it. That I hate that, and I understand <laughs> it's for safety, but I hate it. Hate it. Hate it, right. it. Hate it. But if I go back, I, I think I think the car needs to be worked on. Um, I think the cars obviously need to be. They they need to allow the teams to have a dirt car. To have a dirt car. Listen, if I go and look at, and, and everybody wants to, we go back and everybody wants to say, ooh, you know, 50 years ago we did this. Yeah, but look at what a race car looked like 50 years ago compared to the day. Look at what your local short track dirt car looked like 20 years ago compared to the day. Local racing changes too. Technology reaches that and it's changed too. Why are you penalizing cup drivers and cup teams and making them run this asphalt machine on dirt? So I think that has to change. You know, I, I think there's. I understood. I understood the heat races and all that stuff, but that was a huge selling point for me. Man, I wanted to see some heat races. I wanted to see how this thing was going to yeah. shake out. And I, I was disappointed. Nobody's fault with the weather. Rules should never be changed in the in the middle of a sporting event. Ever. Period. End of conversation. I don't care how much money that is on the line. Um, you you just can't. If I go into it one way, you know that's the same thing as. I go into the Daytona 500 and all of a sudden, once again, another tangent. I hate the overtime rules because the entry blank says Daytona 500, not the Daytona 507 and a half. Okay. It's a 500. So my strategy should be for a 500 mile race, football games, all that stuff. Listen, I hate overtimes. My bad. Okay. So now I'm back on it. I think there's so many, there's just tweaks. I, I don't believe look, watching it yesterday. The racing was racing at Bristol. We were going to see that on concrete. We are going to see that same type racing on asphalt. Dirt didn't change it. Dirt didn't change it at all. That that type of racetrack. So if it doesn't change that right type of racetrack, I think you have to question, do we just really need to go to a dirt track? Do we need to go to Eldora? Do we need to go to Knoxville? Do we need to go somewhere that is a dirt track? that the dirt's not 10 feet deep, that the dirt actually reaches the core of the earth at some point in time. That's how deep it is. (laughs) You know, do we need to, do we need to go back to something like that? That's a question that needs to be answered. Uh, And I know they announced yesterday, they're going back there next year. But to me, that's a question. Windshields are a question. The front splitters, the valences and what that is needs is a question. Um, I think there's so many little things like that. Uh, that, that you're going to have to look at to, to before before we really are can say that we ran a dirt race. Because that we were kind of half pregnant yesterday.
3: Yeah.
1: And as you said, they are going back to Bristol in 2022. But you raise a great point. I think Eldora and Knoxville are dirt racing as God intended it with real dirt that as you said, actually yep. goes into yeah. the earth. Let's talk a little bit about the driving performances. Because if we had seen this race at one of those traditional dirt tracks, Perhaps we would have seen more of these so-called dirt racing ringers uh, excelling. And instead, we saw surprises, KP. I mean, the, the winner of the race, Joey Logano, just started dirt racing like last week. Uh, Martin Trish Jr. wins the truck race, runs top five all day. He doesn't know dirt. Daniel Suarez is up there, finishes fourth, leads a bunch of laps. He's a dirt newbie uh, by about a week as well. Uh, what, what did you make of all these guys who didn't have a lot of dirt
2: experience running so well? You know, I think Dale Jarrett said it best. And Jeff said it one time during the broadcast. Jeff Gordon said it early on. He said it's almost turning into an asphalt track. And I think if I look at Truex and I look at Joey, and especially if I look at, at, at Daniel Suarez, they drove all day long like it was an asphalt track. Hence the tire wear on Joey Logano's car. OK, he w- didn't have it hung out. He drifted in, he got it set, and he drove straight up off the corner. They commented a million times on how Daniel drove straight up off the corner. He's getting good drive off the corner. He's getting good drive because he's waiting on the car to do the work and then driving it up off the corner. So, listen, I wish I had an in-helmet, uh, in-car audio from Kyle Larson whenever he he and he and Christopher Bell jumped up on the high side, and I'm sure he's thinking, yeah, we're going to the front, and the next right. thing I know, they are wadded up. Coming out of turn two, because there was just nothing there. There was yep. nothing there. So the guys that really know dirt and thought the racetrack was going to do one thing in a heavy car did something different. It, and, and I think it caught them out a little bit, honestly. Ryan Newman presented himself well. Uh, I thought Ryan Newman did a great job with, with the dirt experience and a lot of dirt experience he's had. But what I took from it was, and, and, and I say this on a weekly basis, we see the Gibbs team. We see the Hendrick team. We see the Penske team. We see teams run up front and and we think, man, those guys are, they got it going on. And you see those drivers and you begin to just associate those drivers as winning race car drivers. Daniel Suarez is a winning race car driver. Ricky Stenhouse is a winning race car driver. We don't think about JTG. We don't think about Daniel's new team as a winning team, but those are winning race car drivers. And I think they proved to people yesterday you throw them in a strange situation that equalizes the cars. And they're good enough drivers. They're better than good enough drivers to get the job done. They adjusted. They made things work. So for me, it was a driver's day yesterday more than a car day. It was definitely a driver's day because we saw drivers get themselves in trouble. We saw drivers make mistakes and take themselves out. And we saw drivers approach the race different change as the racetrack changed and put themselves in position to have good runs. Eric Jones is a great example. Uh, there's a Richard Petty motorsports finishing the top 10 and couldn't see the top 10 for the last two weeks. Uh, but they put themselves in that position. So what I took from it was the less you knew or the less you expected from the dirt, the more you got from the dirt yesterday. And I I think the guys like Austin Dillon and those guys that we thought were just going to blister them yesterday, uh, because they thought they had a book on dirt. Uh, you can throw that book out the window. They didn't need a book on dirt. They needed a, a sticky note because that's all Daniel and those guys had.
1: <laughs> yeah, you certainly, as you, to, to your point, like if you were searching around looking for that cushion, that probably was going to be a little bit of a hindrance. And uh, I, I just want to run through this. Our, our friends that, Odds powered by Points Bet Sportsbook uh, put out the odds going into the Bristol race. And you'd expect the top five were Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell, Chase Briscoe was the third most favored driver. Chase Elliott and Kyle Bush also made their their list of the top five. Joey Logano, Kyle, was 18 to 1 to start the race. As I mentioned, he had a little bit of experience. Uh, on some dirt tracks in the last couple of weeks and and he was like the third rated Ford car, odds powered by points bet sportsbook. So I, I wouldn't say Logano was a complete underdog, but I you know him well. Uh, yeah. did, did it surprise you that he seemed to adapt so well? and he, both him and Truix. or as you said, I mean, was it just it was kind of a driver's race. Those guys are both cup champions. We should expect cup champions to to figure it out like they did.
2: yeah, no, it didn't it did it did not surprise me. If you followed Joey, on Instagram and YouTube and, uh, Twitter. He is the drift King. Um, <laughs> he's, he, I'm telling you, he's drifting somewhere. He, he shot a piece with Ford up at, at North Wilkesboro drifting through the, through the grandstands and around the racetrack. I mean, he knows car control and, and, you know, I, I you know, Kyle Busch, all these guys have car control uh, and it's, it's crazy how, how special they all are. But Joey, is, and, and I've said it before, man, Joey's what? 29, 30 years old, right along in there. He's got Kyle Busch numbers and nobody gives him credit for it. When you, when you look at wins, when you look at championships, when you look at that, nobody gives him credit for it. He is an extremely talented race car driver, but he's that driver right now that everybody loves to hate. So that's okay, he just keeps winning races. Truex is the same kind of guy that goes out there and just quietly gets it done. You don't expect anything from him. Nobody expected anything from Truex coming into the truck race. Nobody expected anything to, from him when he lapped the field at, at, at Charlotte and led every lap. It seemed like <laughs> he's just that kind of driver that just goes out and gets it done. And Suarez is the same way. Suarez, at first time Suarez had been on a dirt track was Tuesday before this race on a Monday, only six days, six or seven days. So when you look at it, these are guys who have a tremendous amount of talent. It doesn't always come through. They, they're not always able to show it. Um, but put in certain situations, man, they just get it done. And those guys, and, and I think yesterday was a great redemption race for Ricky Stenhouse. Um, as much as, as you look at him and you think, man, he needs to be doing better. He could do better. Ricky Stenhouse was my pick. Uh, last Monday for this race, and nobody was mentioning him. And I'm like, Stan is going to be good, man. Uh, and he just had a solid day. But I, I just think that that it shows how these guys do adapt, but it shows the the depth of what their skill level really is.
1: I certainly lamented not putting Ricky Stenhouse Jr. in my fantasy lineup. Like he said, he sort of just soldiered through the day, ends up finishing second, obviously has a lot of dirt background. One more name that we haven't mentioned yet, and I want to get your take here before we wrap up. We haven't mentioned Denny Hamlin, and again, great that I've got you on this episode of the podcast, KP, because I want you to analyze the Denny Hamlin, Joey Logano battle that had a lot of people talking afterward, final restart after Denny had complained a lot on his radio, vociferously saying that Logano, he felt like was cutting him off a lot, and then Chris part, Denny's crew chief, gets on the radio and basically tells Denny, spin this guy out and win the race. He didn't yeah. say it quite that directly, but- that was pretty much what he told Denny. And Denny sort of had given his team the impression that, you know, he said, hey, go warn TJ Majors, Joey's spotter, that I'm not messing around anymore. And then the final restart happens and Denny Hamlin just goes high and tries to use that cushion to get around Joey Logano. What did you make of that final restart? Were you surprised that Denny didn't just do the old gouge him bump and run out of the way at Bristol?
2: Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm never surprised by anything Denny does so or says, says. so let me, let me be clear here because he's a hard guy to read and a hard guy to, to figure out what he's thinking. Um, sometimes, uh, I, you know, I, I heard that, that radio, you know, where he said, you have the most aggressive guy in all the sport, all of the sport in front of you and and you got to go get it. You go take it, go take it or whatever. He said something to that effect. And the point was for me, that's my guy saying, Hey dude, whatever happens, we're going to back you up. We got you back on this one. You know what right. I mean? And then Denny barrels off into the first corner and runs high in a place that hadn't worked for the last 75 laps, you know, and then post race, he says, you know, he chopped me off. He chopped me off. And I, I let him buy with a lot of it. I let him buy with a lot of it. So is Denny saying he let Joey Logano win by saying, I let him buy with what, what are you saying, Denny? I mean, I, I don't understand what that comment was about. Why even bring that back up? Because it's got no place in it. But I, I think, you know, Denny, it, it's almost like, remember when Carl Edwards went in the corner and just was going to rim ride that baby all the way? Where were we at? Kansas or Kansas, somewhere? Kansas. I give yep. Carl Edwards an A plus 10,000% for making something happen where he had no shot in Hades of making something happen. The difference was Denny Hamlin had a shot at making something happen. Right. Had a shot at winning that race. Had a shot at, at at taking joy, moving him up. He didn't even have to knock him hard in this dirt. We saw how slick it was. All you gotta do is just get to him and he gave it up and he gave up two or three positions in the process. So I don't know what he was thinking, um, but that was not, I mean, gosh, we saw him blatantly wreck Chase Elliott at Martinsville. He just had, just give me a quarter of that and you're my race winner, man. (laughs) Just give me a quarter of that. So. Again, I don't. I don't know what Denny was thinking on that
1: one. It, that was it, it. Was perplexing for all those reasons, and especially you consider the history of Hamlin, Logano. They've got history at Bristol. They had Fontana a few years ago. They had Martinsville uh, yeah. a couple of years ago. And um, you're right, Kyle. Like the the comments from Denny were sort of perplexing. Um, Dustin Long asked him afterward, you know, why not just drive through him? And Denny said, I think me and the 22 race differently. I don't have that mentality. Bob Pocaris asked if he was frustrated to run second to Logano and Hamlin said, yeah, you know, I should have just moved him and got him up in the dust and got rid of him earlier. I just wanted to pass him clean. I didn't, so I didn't win. You know, I love dime store cycle analysis of of cup drivers. So I'm going to invite you in on this one. Is Joey ruthless in a way that maybe no one else in the cup series right now is, and that's partially what makes him so good. I mean, Joey's a great guy. You know what I mean? He's a great guy off the track, but when he puts that helmet on, DJ once said it, he's got an Earnhardt quality to him that I don't yes. know if anybody else has in the Cup Series no, right now.
2: Nobody has it. Nobody has. It. Joey Logano is the only guy that's got it. I, I, I've said this before, okay? And and I'm going to take heat for saying it again. You know, Bill Elliott was our most popular driver forever and ever and ever. But Dale Earnhardt was that guy that if you invite, invited over to your house for dinner, you'd have him back once a week for the rest of your life. That's how engaging Dale Earnhardt Sr. could be. He could talk about a lot of things. We talk about hunting. We talk about cars, whatever you want to talk about. I mean, he was an engaging personality in the race car. Let me tell you something, man. He had one focus, one focus beat you to the start, finish line from the time they threw that green flag to beat you back to the start, finish line, every lap, every lap, not just the last lap, every lap. If you were in front of him, it was to beat you back. Joey Logano has that same mentality. Beat you on the pit road. Beat you off a of pit road. Beat you around to the start finish line. Beat you for tenth position. Beat you for sixth position. Beat you for the win. Beat you. Beat you. Beat you. That's what. That's what it's all about for him. And when he takes that helmet off, you want joy to come to your house every day and hang out with you because he is <laughs> such a good guy, yeah. such a good kid. Um, but he puts that helmet on, and he is the caliber of race car driver that a Kel Yarborough, that a Dale Earnhardt Sr., that a Richard Petty, a David Pearson, a Bobby Allison, that golden era where people, they weren't friends. They were acquaintances, but they weren't friends, okay? And and that's what it takes. You know, I went off on the lucky dog thing because we were we were raised to race. When you get a lap, guy lapped down, it's like catching a snake in your backyard. Once you get your foot on his neck, don't let your foot off because he'll come back to bite you. If you let a guy back on the lead lap, you're going to have to race that guy later in the race. He'll come back to bite you. That's why you beat people, beat people, beat people. And Joey has him. Listen, Joey already has him beat like Earnhardt used to in a certain way because you heard the crew chief. You heard Gabe say He's the most aggressive guy in the sport. <laughs> when the crew chiefs and the other teams are acknowledging that, I got to think those drivers when they get in their helmets, they acknowledge it too. Now, they believe they can race with him, but Joey Logano is that Dale Earnhardt guy, um, and he's that guy. Listen, people hated Earnhardt when he first came along, and, and they booed him just like they do because he raced against all the golden children, the Richard Petty's and the Kyle Yarborough's and the, and the Daryl Waltrip's and those guys. But later in his career, he was a god to a lot of people, and Joey Logano can be that with his numbers, with what he's done and what he does on the racetrack, but with who he is off the racetrack also. Fascinating
1: stuff. One more for you. Denny had mentioned that he felt like the dirt brought back the old Bristol and did have that, what you used to race, the single groove around the bottom, bump and run, gouge people all the way. That's the way they get to the front. Is, is there an art to the bump and run that maybe has been lost a little bit and might make it a little bit more difficult? You know, Is it is it harder than it looks Essentially, I guess is what I'm saying. I mean, we can all just look at Denny and just say, hey, why don't you just drive through him, take him out? But is, is the lack of practice with getting to do that at Bristol for, say, the last 14 years make it you know, dif- more difficult for today's drivers to kind of make those moves? Or is it just a matter of just stomp the gas, don't hit the brakes and take the guy out? Yeah, no.
2: Well, see that. that that's if we go back. I, I think you have to have to be able to perform if what we're going to refer to as the bump and run. You have to control two cars you have to control your car and know that when you tap that guy that you're going to send him in the right direction. How many times do we see guys get into somebody and the car in front of them will spin back in front of them and, and take them both out. You know what I mean? Or you end up losing a couple of positions cause you're slamming on brakes and two guys by, drive by you on the inside. That's not a bump and run. A bump and run is getting somebody at just the right place. Uh, whether it's a little bit, Right before the entry to the corner, or right before the center of the corner, and moving them out and driving up under them and taking the position, or trying to slide them out on the exit and come up off uh, and take that position away. Understand that if you're gonna if you're gonna execute that move, you you got to keep staring out that window because if you look in that rearview mirror, the fear of God's gonna be put into you because you're <laughs> gonna see somebody up on the steering wheel just like this coming right. back to slam you out of the way, not bump and run you out of the way, slam you out of the way. But, but I, I think we see it attempted a lot. We only see it executed very rarely anymore. And I don't know if, it, if that's driver, honestly, or if it's the arrow that these cars have that you can't get that close to people anymore and, and, and can't execute it the way that we used to see it and the, and the way other drivers used to, to do it for a while. And, and, and it's fascinating because honest to goodness, If we go back to the 60s and early 70s, guys didn't do that. They just got into each other, knocked them out of the way and went on. Then we had a bump and run period. Then we had guys knocking each other out of the way again. So will that come back uh, or does that have a place in the sport? It definitely has a place in the sport. But, you know, yesterday I would have thought we would have seen it a lot more uh, on the high side and on the low side. And we didn't see any of
1: it. Yeah, I was surprised as well. Well, We'll see if we see more of it when uh, we go back to Bristol in the playoffs on NASCAR NBC. We'll certainly be there for that later on this year. Maybe we'll have you back to discuss Bristol back in its natural form. But in the meantime, thanks again, as always, KP, for being here. Love to have you as a guest. And thanks for making time for us. Thank you, Matt.
3: This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the RYOBI 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear debris with the 40-volt jet fan leaf blower. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at your cordless power source. The Home Depot. How doers get more done.
0: Do you want a beautiful lawn? Learn more at marines.com.
1: Okay, bonus edition now of the NASCAR and NBC podcast, where I am joined by somebody who actually raced on the dirt at Bristol Motor Speedway this past weekend, and that is our very own Parker Kligerman, finishes eighth in the truck dirt race at Bristol. Parker, uh, it was an eventful weekend. I mean, we were just chatting with Kyle Petty and Hugely impressed by your performance, not just in the race, but during practice with uh, Sheldon Creed, the the series champion. Just uh, give us the overview on how it all went for you.
4: Yeah, I I went into this with an open mind. I think like everyone else, right? I hadn't been on dirt uh, since ARCA back in 2009, which were my only two dirt races I'd ever done. And I won them both. So to give you an idea, forever I could say that I had a perfect record on dirt. Um, so I was putting that at risk this weekend and I was excited as, it, as everyone else. And uh, in practice, as Kyle noted, we were super fast. And by the end of second practice, you know, the, I went out there at the beginning of first practice and I said, if I can just be in the top 20 of the 44 trucks that were there, I was like, I'm going to be happy with that. And I look up on the board and we're like, my first run, we're like 25th. And I'm like, oh man, it kind of sucks. Right. And by the end of practice, I think we got somewhere in the top 20. And I looked up and I was like, all right, I'm I'm good. I'm good. And then we get in the second practice or towards the end of the first one. And I'm like, man, we're really good. I feel like. And we get in the second one, and I whip off a lap that's like P top top five. And it, it wasn't even that hard. And I was like, man, maybe we're really good. And then we got <laughs> to the end of the practice. We're racing Sheldon Creed. We could go anywhere on the track. We use the outside lane. I got done with that practice, and Chase Briscoe texted me and said, Uh, you and I have the fastest trucks and we got the field covered by two tents and I was like, let's go. Um, and then it rained for two days and we ended up on an entirely different track, uh, on Monday, but it was a lot of fun. The race was insane. The the visibility was wild. Uh, I still have dirt coming out of my nose and my lungs and, uh, my, my right eye is like completely messed up from all the dirt, but I had a blast.
1: Yeah. Totally worth it. All those things for a top 10. Right. It's funny what you mentioned there about the the track changing, because I think we sort of heard that as well from Daniel Suarez yesterday after the cup race, where he was so good up until they took that extended break near the end. And they, they worked about an extra 10 minutes on track prep and putting the water down. Uh, I guess that's just a testament to what we heard a lot going into this, but which I didn't fully understand. And I don't know, maybe you have a great appreciation for it as well, though you have dirt experience, like and track management and prep is the whole ball game, not not just the, the, the entertainment perspective, but also for the guys racing it as well.
4: Yeah, we, we were making jokes all weekend that in dirt racing you have to be a um, a chemist as well, apparently. So you know, <laughs> like, you understand how it's changing and everything, and it did change a massive amount. And you know, the track we had on Friday, although it was similar in terms of how it slipped off and everything, the big difference was, you know, the track creates different ruts and different banking from how the cars run in it. And so, you know, three and four from Friday to Monday was an entirely different corner. Like, it had no similar characteristics whatsoever. There was a bump off of four in, uh, in practice that, like, you could put your right rear in and it would, like, hook up. And then we came to the race and it was just none of that. And so you were just sliding the whole time off it. And so that dynamicism, though, like, that's what was so cool about this weekend, right, Nate? Like, I told a couple people, I said, go watch. Practice, watch one car go around that track by itself on the dirt track and then go and watch one car on the concrete track. And you're going to know what made this so exciting. It wasn't that, you know, maybe the racing was particularly better or anything. I think the thing that made it exciting was the cars were visibly dynamic, right? Like you saw – them moving around. You saw the drivers working the wheel. You saw, you know, the the bias ply tires allow the car to get so much more sideways. And the the way they had to have them off the ground, they slammed down in the corner. That is something that I was saying to someone there this weekend. I was like, we have not seen that since probably 2004, 2005, right? When when, right as we figured out coil binding and the, the importance of how that aero platform works. We have not seen visibly dynamic race cars in a long time. And I think that is what was the hidden secret to what was so cool about this weekend.
1: Which uh, puts an emphasis, certainly, as you said, Parker, on driver talent. That's what everybody wants to see. Uh, But it was interesting what we saw unfold, especially in the cup race on Monday. I was talking to Kyle Petty and Dale Jarrett about just, just now about how it wasn't the dirt ringers. It was Martin Drex Jr. It was Daniel Suarez, Joey Logano, the race winner. And and it seemed as if they were treating it less like a dirt track and more like, you know, not an asphalt track or a concrete track that just happened to have dirt on it. It seemed like they were like straight lining the corners more. Your take on that, was that maybe why, did did having a dirt background maybe not be as big of an advantage as we thought because of the way the track raced?
4: I think they're. I, I think it goes to the same thing, you know, where the idea of ringers is so old and to me, it's just like, it's out of touch. Like we've never seen road course ringers truly come in and become the end all be all right. It, it just doesn't happen. Like sure. There was a time period where they were maybe competitive, but it's like, you're not going to hop into this, the NASCAR cup series and be, uh, you know, miles ahead of all these drivers because you happen to know track type different. Right. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I think it was—I can't remember who said it—but it's it's harder to learn the nuances of a stock car than it is to learn to go around a road course. I think the dirt was the same example, right? Where the best stock car drivers in the world are going to find themselves at the front, no matter what you put them on. If it's going to be the moon, they're going to find themselves, you know, ahead of <laughs> everyone else. So, and then in terms of the driving style, yeah, of course, because it's thirty-four hundred pound cars that are not meant to be driven that sideways. We still were more sideways than we've ever been, and I think you'll ever see a stock car. Uh, outside of that dirt track and being on a bias ply tire. But, you know, I think that was one of the things I found very early on is that I was driving the track in practice, second practice, when I got really comfortable, I was really quick. I was driving the track the exact same way I drove it last September on the concrete. I mean, my my lift points, my brake points were the same. Wow. Where I aimed the car, my pickup points on the throttle, everything was the same. The only difference was I was I had a probably 20 degrees more wheel to the right, <laughs> like that was, I was. but I wasn't, it was the same as it was in the concrete. So, you know, it's just, I think the idea of the dirt ringers and all stuff, no, was never going to be a thing. I knew everyone knew it was, you know, I think anyone who's the driver's side knew that was never gonna be a thing. And, and um, you know, we, we proved once again, the best drivers in the world are the ones that are in the best cars.
1: Yeah, which is great. That's what NASCAR and all forms of racing should really be about. Uh, the other big discussion, Parker, naturally beyond, hey, why did the dirt guys struggle was, uh, what can NASCAR and Bristol do? Knowing that this event's coming back in 2022. Uh, lots of discussion. Scott Miller was saying today on SiriusXM NASCAR radio that they're going to look at taking the windshields out. They're going to look at different tire. You know, Maybe they'll look at running at night. I don't know. Um, what would be on the Parker Kligerman wish list? Knowing that you probably don't want to change too much finished eighth and maybe could have had a winning truck, but like, are there any things you would do to improve what, what we saw?
4: Yeah. I mean, the windshield thing is an interesting one um, because that is obviously something that's just not conducive to dirt racing because whether it's dusty and they fill up with dust and it's impossible to see, and we're all using Swiffers on the windshield, <laughs> right. To try and see. And the outside is so bad within three laps. You're like, what are we even doing? You know, what what am I trying to do here? um you know that's interesting except for the fact that our cars are not really designed to have being pummeled by debris and such right <laughs> so that's right. It. i mean that's a really tricky thing it would require i think a huge you know change of how we set everything up in the cars for drivers we're gonna have to change our helmets right and all our gear because you're gonna have to have tear-offs which i think right now having the pylons for tear-offs in a stock car is illegal um so that would be a, a change that's i don't think anyone even realizes Um, so, you know, there's a couple things like that, that would have to be changed. Gosh, I I just think that's such a, it would definitely be conducive to us being able to race on the muddier side, right? Except for the other problem, the mud was just covering the grills. Like, you know, how are we going to get air to the engines? That's, that would be a change we'd have to make. So I'm not sure about all that. I think the more, one of the things I think would be interesting is, um, you know, with all that they're spending to do this and everything, maybe it's different types of dirt. Right. I saw a couple of people talk about like maybe we ship in dirt from the Midwest and one year and the next year we ship it in from the West. And I don't know. I know that'd be super expensive, but like sort of like motocross, right, where they supercross, they ship in different types of dirt. I wonder if it would be interesting. You know, this time we raced on true, you know, Virginia clay. Maybe next year we race on, you know, Ohio whatever that dirt is. I have no idea. Sure. Um, but you know what I mean? Like that could be a way to change it and keep it even more dynamic. So I just think it's uh, there's a lot of interesting things in that realm. I don't know if anyone has the perfect answers. Um, but at the end of the day, one thing that's really cool is just that you've got cars sliding around, moving around and, you know, as long as we harness that and continue to allow that to happen, I think you gonna have a great show.
1: Yeah. No matter what they do, hopefully they just optimize it a little bit more, but uh, it seems like they've got the foundation. That's a great point on Dirt and clay. I, I saw some great events, some great supercross events at the uh, late great Georgia Dome. So maybe they can ship some hey. of that Georgia clay a little bit yeah, north. What?
4: I don't know anything about dirt, so wouldn't telling me all this Same. stuff, right? We're yeah. There and like, <laughs> you know, I'm putting like a key card into the into the dirt <laughs> before the race, like trying to. You know, everyone's like, yeah, you got to check how far deep it goes and all this stuff. And I'm like, I, hey, I'm getting out in here. I don't know any of that stuff. I don't even, you know, I don't want to learn it. But um, I think the thing that would be cool is you know let's just continue you know the path that nascar's on is about having dynamic you know really embracing the idea that nothing has to be the same so let's uh, let's go one step further and switch it up entirely and maybe we'll find a dirt that's just like that is the perfect dirt for stock cars and then we just stick with it who
1: knows? Yeah, it's a great idea, and I'm completely unqualified to talk about dirt as well, which is why we're <laughs> doing it right now in this podcast. So uh, we we talked a little about maybe what's to come. Uh, we'll wrap up just with what's to come for you. How many more truck races do you have? Is it?
4: Uh, so we're you know we normally aim to do about eight to ten races in a season. Um, this year we 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 did a couple off the bat just because of the uh, the way you know no practice, no qualifying. You kind of have to get points right. So it's really important to go out there and. know the first few races accrue a lot of points so that's why we've run basically all the first races here um and now we'll probably take a break from richmond and kansas and we'll be back at darlington coda charlotte those are the big uh you know the trip deal where they pay the extra money which is cool and then uh we'll see sort of putting in the road we'll probably try to do all the road courses um and then obviously talladega and sprinkle a couple others there so we might end up going over 10 races, which would be cool uh, for Good. us to be one of our bigger years. Um, and for us, we just do it because we want to go win races and we're, we're damn competitive. We're real close. Uh, the series is insanely competitive this year. You know, there's, there's gotta be the most competitive trucks I've seen in, in possibly the decade that I've been racing trucks. So uh, it's amazing. What's happened in that series and what, what what's happened since the cost is lower and all that. It's so cool. So, I think uh, for us, though, we really want to go get back in victory lane, and I think we can do it, and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll do more than 10 races.
1: Oh, You certainly proved that you, you have an, a shot at doing that Monday, so uh, good on you for a great performance at Bristol-Parker, and uh, good luck the rest of the season, and thanks for coming on here and joining us.
4: Absolutely. Thanks, bud. Glad to uh, be back on the podcast. Always a listener, so I'll be, I'll be listening to this one, too.
1: Appreciate it. Our thanks again to NASCAR and NBC analyst Kyle Petty for joining us to recap the Bristol Motor Speedway dirt race. And to NASCAR and NBC analyst and driver Parker Kligerman for giving us a window into what it was like to drive on that surface. We greatly appreciate their insight and time as always. No NASCAR race this weekend. Enjoy your Easter if you're celebrating. But there will be a NASCAR and NBC podcast next week, not a post race edition, but a discussion with someone who's been on this podcast before and was very well received. And this conversation already has been taped, so I don't mind telling you because I can't jinx it. It's Jerry Fries, General Manager for Front Row Motorsports, the reigning Daytona 500 winners with Michael McDowell this year. Great convo, as always, with Jerry about what's already been an incredible year for Front Row Motorsports, so stay tuned for that next week. Thanks, as always, to NBC Sports producers Aaron Feldstein and Emily Conboy for helping with the coordination and recording of this podcast. Aaron actually suggested we get Parker for this episode, and that was a very good suggestion. So thanks to Aaron and Em. The NASCAR and NBC podcast is available wherever you download podcasts. Please leave us a rating and review to help spread the word, and any feedback. As always, you can send to me on Twitter at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening. To the NASCAR NBC podcast.
3: Do summer projects your way with Memorial Day savings from the Home Depot. With free delivery on over two million items, you can make the most of summer grilling and dig into gardening. Plus, get same-day delivery on thousands of products like power tools and storage to tackle any last-minute garage project. Summer your way with Memorial Day Savings from The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability.
0: If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there.